Hey, do you like what we do, but want to hear it in Boston? Well, the fucking Avengers, the thing with fucking Chris Evans, you know he went to school around here and shit, right? He fucking grew up around here. Dude, that fucking house in fucking Knives Out, kid, that he was in, that's in fucking Weston, Massachusetts. I drove by it. My uncle, my uncle, okay, he's a fucking contractor, all right? He drives a truck. It's got ladders and shit on it, right? He has fucking pictures of Chris Evans working on that fucking movie and that that asshole Ringing Johnson that made that fucking stupid Star Wars movie I hated so much. That guy right yeah he was fucking there too and oh a fucking james bond kid oh shit i fucking saw james bond and shit i had to send a picture of that to my fucking aunt she was like oh my god bring him over here i'm gonna fuck him so fucking hard and i was like auntie we're on a fucking group chat with ma i don't fucking care ma can come over here and fucking fuck him too for all i care and then we went on and on and on and everybody was fucking and now i know too much about my family kid then you should check out this week's sponsor the Chipman Brothers Tangent, talking about literally anything, be it nerd news or the lasting trauma of Catholic school. Chris and Bob Chipman have you covered. Listen to the Chipman Brothers Tangent on your favorite podcasting site today. And welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this, the darkest timeline. I'm Lord Turner Orc, and with me as always is... It's Shield, brother. Axel Wright. How's it going this week? It's actually going rather well, uh, all things considered. Yeah, no. I want to put a big asterisk next to that, all things considered, because I'm in the same boat. Yeah, well, uh, okay, well, why is it going well for you? Uh, we're finally getting the spring weather we were supposed to get two months ago. Oh. Because we have been suffering through nonstop rain and overcast weather since March. <laughs> Fair enough. And typically spring out here is you get 60s, you get some nice sun, we get to go up because we don't get snow here, we just get more rain. Mm, unfortunate. And it just, it slowly wears down your sanity when it's six months of rain. And this weekend, week actually, it's been clear and sunny and in the 70s, and I can go outside again. Oh, that sounds miserable to me. <laughs> that sounds way I, too hot. So. 70 is perfect. Now, it is ungodly humid because I'm still on the coast and it still rains all the time. But I get to go back out in the woods and recenter, which is yeah, 70s. 70 is too hot for me, and it's 80-ish where I'm at. So that's not why I'm in a good mood. The, the weather is actually not great. I prefer it. You live overcast. in a desert. That is true. Let's, I do live in a let's desert. Let's be honest. You live in a desert. Yeah, and I much prefer it when it's overcast and cloudy. But I recognize that actually m months of rain does have a recorded, proven psychological effect on people. I think I'm just an exception. So. Oh, no. The first thing my dad told me when I moved out here is because he had lived here for a year. And he said it rained the entire time, and he almost went crazy. Mm -hmm. All because rain he, and no sun make Jack go crazy? Yes, because he couldn't get out, he couldn't leave the cabin, and he couldn't do anything, and it was just cold and wet and miserable. And after going through that, I'm like, oh, I can, I can see that. Mm. No, I'm in a good mood because, and I really only shared this here because I already shared bits of it, and you referred to it as the ongoing story or something, yeah. but... Last week, I went on a date with this girl on Tuesday, and then I went on a date with the same girl on Friday, and then I went with a date with that same girl on Sunday, and then I saw her last night. Ooh. See, I always say it because it amuses me. We're recording these sequentially, and so I can follow this story. These do not get released sequentially, so these <laughs> could come out any point in that saga and I just like to imagine there's at least one person at home listening to us that's got the big axles dating board with this <laughs> string going, all right, I think this is this date and I think this one ends well, but I don't know. Yeah. So I, I have a new girlfriend, as it were, and like, quote unquote, officially, I hate that word, but uh, yeah. And fun time. It's funny because I have a, a trip. I'm going out of town for like nine days next week. And so it's like, oh, I just started this relationship and now i'm gonna leave for like nine days that's unfortunate and her birthday falls in that so i went and got her a gift early so she's oh, really in a sh about oh. absence making the heart grow fonder and all that i guess she's really into sharks so i found her a shark plushie 
That's going to go well with your uh, philosophobia. Uh, I'm hey, I'm fighting it. I've gone on a boat several times on a river now, so I'm <laughs> I'm working on it. So to most of our audience, that means nothing, but to the handful that know you, that's that's big. Yeah, it, indeed. <laughs> anyway, point is that's why I'm in a good mood. I'm going to see her again day after tomorrow because I got to record tonight and I got game night with the buddies tomorrow. So day after tomorrow. Anyway, look at you me. your social life. True. I also, uh, through the dating apps, I actually made two other friends, just friends. I went and played board games with this lady and her husband on Monday, so that I met on Bumble. So that I have follow up questions, but <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we're not here to talk about my love life, but I want to share it because I've mentioned it a couple times in previous recordings, and right now it's good. Anyway, I won't say her name in case for some reason she comes on here and wants to be called by something else. That seems unlikely based on her personality, but hey, best to plan for the future. So, <laughs> all right, hard left back into podcast land. Yes. We're going to talk. Our patrons, those people that probably do have those pushpin boards, if nothing else, they just like giving us money because they love these long, rambling opens. They are our wonderful, wonderful patrons. They are Pam Galley, Marquis, Chris Chipman, River Galley, Krug, Arthur Crane, Kevin Vay, Brandon Agnew, John Vinnels, Kit, Kenny Seth, Decker, Don Lucy, Patrick Anderson, Carson Mel, Scott Rubin, and Derek Ducate. Now, if you'd like to join the Illustrious Legion, just head on to patreon.com forward slash Geeks with Shields. 25 cents an episode guarantees an episode a week, if not more. All right, all right. Then what are we here to talk about? I mean, they know. They read the... Well, then again, this is the kind of topic they might read it and be like, what the hell does that mean? So oh, I'm already trying to figure out how the hell I'm going to title this one because it's uh, it's definitely one of those. But this has kind of been we'll, we'll see. But it's been bouncing around the back of my head and I'll go on a short tangent here in a second. But I want to talk about this idea of historical romanticism that kind of exists for people. Now, I'm pretty sure that Ulrich and I are thinking kind of different things when he says that. I mean, I think this is an excuse to talk about a few things about historical representation that I might want to say. But what are what what would you it, say you mean right now, Or It all bleeds together. Like this exists on a vast spectrum, but it's the idea that people have sometimes have this kinder, more rosy-colored vision of the past than the past actually was. Yes, there is. A number of reasons for that. As a sidebar, I just watched Hamilton for the first time last week, so which is interesting, oh. re- weirdly relevant. So <laughs> that's I. Everyone thought I would hate that, and I like that a lot. I liked it quite a bit, yeah. And uh, well, it certainly got me to re-examine some things I feel about certain historical figures, particularly Alexander Hamilton and Thomas Jefferson. But uh, yeah. I need to do more research, so. Oof, American deism is a whole other topic, but not necessarily too far off. And that kind of fits on this like this broad spectrum I'm talking about, is a lot of times, if you haven't studied history, you've only kind of partially studied history, you have this kind of rose-colored, oh, it was simpler, you know, this was better. And this exists on a wide spectrum, and I've ran into it across the board. Like, on one end of it, you kind of run into people that think, that <sighs> trying to pick my see in, in my experience what you're talking about though is a phenomenon that has a a very definitive kind of like time scale like people generally think things were better between like 30 and 100 years prior to wherever they oh, are Oh no, that's its own thing but i mean there are people and i've had this conversation that think we'll call it pre-roman pagan europe was this era of female empowerment and the Romans brought the patriarchy with them. Okay, you're getting into something very specific there. And with that one, I only think it's I'm interesting. I'm saying this is, a, this is a sliding scale. I'm also talking like in the same gets applied to proto-Christian or the mid-ages. And then it keeps on sliding down to the far, far end of the spectrum where you get out-and-out Nazis who go. And it was a glorious age for white dudes who were the glorious saviors. Okay, well, first of all, fuck those guys just to yes. get that out of the way of this conversation. So, and fuck everything about them. Uh there is, though, from a not horribly racist perspective, there are arguments to be made about certain aspects of that. I have heard yes. I have heard an anthropological argument that 
pre-agrarian peoples, as in pre-farming, for those who know what I really mean, before the advent of the farm, and we were hunter-gatherers, and everyone basically had to spend a thousand calories to consume a thousand calories of food. The bone structures of the remains we found from that period of time indicate that they generally probably lived longer, and the like anthropological finds or maybe it's archaeological finds, it, it gets iffy there when it comes to people this old, uh, indicated they probably actually had more time for leisure than we do in the current time even. Yeah. So it gets and, iffy at that point. Yeah, so those are like legit. Is, yeah, and history is very messy because essentially it's a lot of people going, I believe this because of blank. And there is evidence either to a great deal or a lesser great deal to back that up. And well, it's one a of the most thing. But we're not we getting into about, that. Yeah, but we've talked about before that one of the most important things to talk about when it comes to history is that history is not objective. People think it is because history, quote unquote, happened. And, oh, it definitely happened. Yes, but how different how people recorded it, it how you how... interpret meanings from those like depend entirely on what perspectives you're going what philosophies you have like history is actually extremely subjective yes here's one of like the great examples that i kind of like to use is when you are studying any ancient text you kind of need to keep retranslating it every 10 years or so because the culture will shift and therefore the person interpret uh translating its kind of cultural biases shift and that's how we end up with wildly different translations of the same text yeah or i mean one of my favorite examples is you take a look at any given a given war pretty much any war throughout human history and you can usually interpret it from like okay and maybe interpret it from a great man perspective like oh it's this king versus this king doing a you know using their countries and their armies is essentially a game that's a lot of the common way western literature does it or you look at it as an economic thing like okay what new technologies were created or new resources were gathered that suddenly create economic pressure on one side or the other or you can look at it from a biological thing usually disease plays a huge part like yep. oh maybe one person that one disease spread heavily throughout one area creating a that vacuum of power that created an instant an instability in another area or you could look at it from like a purely you can look at it from a conspiracy point of view. The point is that you can interpret an event from any number of perspectives, and that will color how what that event, quote unquote, means, or why something happened, which is why, like, it might be weird to say, well, don't concern yourself with why something happened. No, history is very concerned with why things happen, because it's kind of how we yeah, learn it's, and it's go all, forward. So. so all of that is a long way to say that it is perfectly acceptable that there is this kind of incorrect assumptions about history because there's so many layers at play and it's interesting to watch this bleed into our interpretation of how a fantasy universe should work true although i will say it does go in both directions when it comes to this because like i think we're gonna go largely into why where the romanticism is like oh the back the past seemed better than the the present even though it wasn't but there are plenty of cases where it was i mean a, well not the present but the classic example is how you brought up the Roman Empire. Well, the Roman Empire had a better water aqueduct sewage system than basically the rest of the world for several thousand or for like a thousand years after it fell, essentially. So, yeah. No. And then there's the whole Dark Ages misnomer. And no, it's a whole big thing. Well, the Dark Ages is particularly grievous because the Dark Ages is a such a Euro Western Eurocentric term because while quote unquote Europe was in the Dark Ages, the Islamic and Asian worlds were going through basically renaissances. Well it's also a misnomer because it's not called the Dark Ages because it was horrible. It's called the Dark Ages because there's not a strong written record of what was going on. In the West. Again. Yes. <laughs> so I know there's even that or there's a whole pushback. Again, history is complicated, folks. Very, very complicated. Yeah. I mean, we're not historians. We're fans of history, oh, no. but we're not historians. So. Yes. I don't even know if I'd... No. I, <laughs> and you'll like, historians won't even directly comment on this because, again, so much gets set up in your reputation as a historian. So we might be a little bit safer as non-historians. We're going to take the we're gonna take the Dan Carlin approach. We're history enthusiasts. Yeah, like I said, I'm, I'm a fan of history. I love learning about history, but I'm definitely not a historian. So. Yes. So, yes, this whole big muddled 
mixed up mess leads to one of my most hated and most loved sentiments is when someone's watching a fantasy thing and they say the following line, I didn't know it was like that back then, or did they really have that back then? Okay, I mean, it depends entirely on what you're talking about, but... This is what I used to hear all the time with friends when Lord of the Rings first came out. Mm. And the phrase was, man, it would have been cool to live back then. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I pause and I would always go, when do you think back then was? (laughs) I mean, in regards to Middle Earth, that especially gets (laughs) odd. I mean, Middle Earth is so very specifically modeled after a a Western Europe, probably what the 14th century, if I were to guess from some of the armor, but even then that's a muddy idea. It's its its own weird thing. No, go back and listen to our episode with Ashley V. Robinson on the Tolkien effect. And we can kind of go through that one, but that was always a funny one. And again, this is this historical romanticism that people have. Now think about it. Oh, sorry. I was going to say nothing about even the saying the 14th century is way too late because gunpowder would exist by the 14th century. So sorry, continue. Yeah. So no, is it, it takes this, kind of rose-colored image we have about history, and then we mix it in with a little bit of our own fantasy excitement, and we think, okay, this this is what it was like. And one of my favorite games I, I, play, I played once on Twitter and nobody got the joke was I had people comment and I would tell them how they would die in a fantasy world. All right. Let's, let's take you, for example. Your answer, I would probably say uh, you died from a... Stomach parasite from drinking bad well water. That's why we got to drink ale. It's actually why they did drink pretty much exclusively alcohol back then, because it actually yes. was didn't kill you. So. And for everyone that commented on that, I gave them some horribly mundane but realistic way that you would die in a medieval setting. And no yeah. one liked that, because that's not what you want when you are going to your medieval fantasy. But, I mean, that's what the whole game hey, personally, <laughs> personally, I think I'd be far more likely to die just from a festered wound. Just from yes. like, oh, I fell off my horse and now my uh-huh. leg is turning you green. You had and... a bad tooth. Yeah, or that. That's far more. Oh, there man, is dental hygiene. So many horrible, horrible ways. And that was like Game of Thrones was so novel. Was It was like, yeah, it's a fantasy world, but, you know, people are dying horribly. And it was people were shocked by this. It's like that. That that was how it was. Don't get me wrong. There were. It's not this. Well, you know, what's an easy example for me. I was talking about Lord of the Rings the other day. And with with the the new girlfriend actually, and we were talking about like which ones you'd want to hang out with or have in your life or blah 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 all that kind of conversation, and we both were like, you know, it's funny because especially when you're younger, you're like, man, Aragorn is the coolest, or sorry, Aragorn is the not Aragorn, Aragorn, Aragorn is like the coolest, and he is really cool. You know what else? Probably he probably stinks, really yep. stinks, because he's a ranger in that time. He's covering everyone grease and dirt. Yeah, the only one who probably doesn't stink, Legolas probably doesn't, because elves. And magic. Yeah, and the hobbits probably smell like drugs and smoke constantly. So. Yeah, they're going to smell like wood fire. Yeah, and Gandalf probably doesn't smell, again, because magic. But Gimli and Aragorn, oh yeah, they definitely reek. (laughs) Oh no, the Rohirrim smell of horses all the damn time. Also true, which I am not a fan of. I have been on several horse ranches. and. Oh no, horse is a horrible smell, but... Yeah. So that's like one of those things that you can't smell a fantasy movie. And in reality, if you were transferred into a fantasy setting from where you are now, that would probably be one of the first things to really shake you is just that everything would reek if you're basically around any other humans. (laughs) Now, here's the weird thing. And I'm curious. I think I know your answer, but I kind of have this. There are people. uh, There's things that go on. It's it's called living archaeology. Mm hmm. And it exists in various forms, but basically people will try and emulate a his specific time period to try and better understand this. And this both exists in the forms of academia and historical tourism. To see like what it effect it has on the human body and, and well, psychology uh, and stuff. Yes. Well, it's a way to get to understand Like The most famous example was the, all these archaeologists built a Viking longship and, and tested to see if they could sail it from Norway to England. Mm hmm. And they discover things. But it also exists in kind of a touristy sense of you can go and spend a weekend in an authentic Anglo-Saxon village. Yeah, sure. And I would 100% sign up for that because I'm that type of historical nerd. So I don't know what that is. But it is always interesting when people are like, oh, I just want to live in this ye olden times with the elves and the magic. And the. it's like, really? You want to give up indoor plumbing? 
Yeah, I'm not giving up indoor plumbing. <laughs> indoor, no, I, indoor plumbing is a big one. And even if I could take indoor plumbing back with me, it's like there's there's still a lot that I want back. I mean, as someone who grew up fairly rustic and knows what an outhouse is like. Uh, yeah, I spent six years using an outhouse because I lived in a trailer on my grandfather's property. So I never, never again. So Yeah. I grew up off-grid with a faulty power system that worked most of the time, but not all of the time. Yeah, if I were to go back in time, I can't imagine going back any farther than, I don't know, maybe the the 30s. And even then, I'd want to be born post-Depression. So. Yeah, no, and it's some fun thing. But let's just kind of like pick, I mean, is there, we all make the joke as 40K fans, it's the one universe we don't want to end up in. Obviously. But I feel like. That's true of any fantasy universe. Like, there's some cool ones. I'd love to pop into Middle Earth for, like, a weekend, but there's no way in hell I want to stay there. Well, okay, any fantasy verse? Uh, no, not necessarily. Here's why I'd say that, because there, once you introduce magic, but, like, accessible magic, like, Lord of the Rings doesn't have accessible magic. Lord of the Rings has very special magic that only certain people can access. Once you introduce completely accessible magic, you change the game entirely. Example. Let's say I was in the Dungeons and Dragons world. I have access through any number of class systems to the Prestidigitation spell, which literally magically cleans or flavors or do does any of these number of things. So the problem with scent and smuck and all that gone. The, the uh, like dental hygiene, we've got clerics who have magic healing stuff. So like. Magic kind of changes the conversation a lot, so I feel like we should put that in a special box and just put it away from this conversation. I feel, though, like I don't know enough about the magic system of the D&D universe that there are, eventually you're going to run up against certain issues because it remains a fantasy universe. Like one of the things that's always kind of struck me is for all the magic and arcane whatnot of D D, the fact that they are still in a medieval setting and haven't advanced past that kind of struck me it's my big problem with uh, urban fantasy i always feel like urban fantasy ignores the fact that once you introduce magic to a contemporary setting your timeline diverges wildly but that depends entirely what you mean by that because yes technically speaking the main world of faerun is in a medieval setting but the Dungeons and Dragons setting has cities that are basically science fiction cities. It also has space travel. Yeah, and that also doesn't jive well with my brain because it feels weird that one party of your world would have that and the rest wouldn't. Like, the minute gunpowder becomes introduced in a concept, it immediately reduces the effect. It's, it's you don't wear armor after, gun, after guns, you know? If Unless you have magic armor. Then you make <laughs> that's, magic that's... bullets. Yeah, well, it depends. Strength of magic. So, so, I mean, there's magic that literally can rewrite reality in Dungeons and Dragons. That's why I want to put magic out of this conversation because I feel yeah, like it so let's, changes. Let's take magic off. But I mean, and that's, that's, I mean, we're kind of seeing a trend. Like it's ground, what I call grounded fantasy, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Like the Witcher. Yeah. The Witcher talks. Uh, the Witcher books and games talk a lot about how smelly everyone is. Well, the Witcher's a good example of um because yes, we put magic in a box, but the Witcher magic is very interesting because the Witcher magic is very very constricted. I think that's what you're talking about, where it's like grounded. It's closer to Lord of the Rings magic, where it's like only a well, few people can use it. not even just the magic, but that it's kind of based in semi-history and that people have to deal with a lot of the problems medieval societies had to deal with. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, again, while Rome had a sewer system, once Rome fell, there basically wasn't a functioning sewer system in at least Western culture again until like the Industrial Revolution, pretty much. Well, even then, depending on where you existed in the Roman Empire, determined how good your public sewer system was. Yeah, but you read like history of only like a few hundred years ago, and you still can read stories about people basically dumping their chamber pots out their windows onto the road. Yeah, no, there's that whole thing. And again, I just, it finds this just weird mixing pot of people that, you know, recognize and want to go to these fantasy realms because it's like this historical thing i've read and i like the aesthetic but then they don't take any of the extra real world elements with it 
But then the weird inverse of this is the people that try and say, well, there can't be any non-white people in this universe because historically there were no white people in non-white people in Europe, which is such fucking bullshit, you stupid fucking fuck. There is a number of problems with that. Like, first of all, history wasn't nearly as whitewashed as as it seems like. It's just that white people in the West tended to be writing the stories and writing the history. So that's what they wrote about. It's not even that. It's that in the times you didn't really comment on it because it was this like there was so much inner trade in Europe because Europe is a huge kind of centralized hub when you look at it geographically, especially in terms of empires that you're not really remarking on. And there was this guy from this country and this guy from this country and this guy from this country. Well, that's especially true in Europe when it was a bunch of countries that were in and there was, the, you know, very established trade routes that were. I mean, when it you start reading, you get into nationalism that you really start going. Yeah, but I mean, a good example versus... is that. Yeah, a good example is that China, Africa, the Middle East, and Europe were a, largely interacting with each other for thousands of years, like at least like two thousand years, essentially. But America, North America, right? We didn't really function that way. Uh, we so like we in this country, the United States, have a very insular history compared to countries on other continents so yeah so that's like the weird thing that you get is people go well if this is set in the viking age of mythology uh, viking mythology viking era there wouldn't be any arabs or you know asian people or black people because historically it was that way it's like hold on this right is based in history but it's not historical but this is the historical thread you're pulling at and well, that's the other end of the spectrum, you know, as someone as someone who likes Scandinavian history and Viking culture, the two there's two big problems with that. One is, first of all, it's just not correct. I mean, yes, there's not like there was a ton of people of color running around in Norway, but they did exist because there were slave trades. And I don't mean slave trades like racial slave trades. I just mean slave trades in general. Places, Vikings, you captured people. Plus, they were trading all over fucking Europe. Yeah. So there were you people of all people sorts. Up like within within viking settlements it's just that they weren't the you know the majority because vikings lived in a pretty inhospitable place and they tended to um, be you know rather violent and or blackmaily when it came to other peoples so but that doesn't mean they didn't exist and secondly if you're doing a fiction especially like historical fiction that can be speculative of some sort then there's a certain i don't know impetus to be like Make it a better setting than even reality was. Yes, you can stick to historical accuracy, but when it comes to hiring actors and representing for, you know, art for the people of the current day, there is an argument to be made that, like, there is something specifically to be gained by even interjecting more people like that into that setting. I am of the opinion the minute you make it a fantasy setting – you do not have to obey any laws of historical accuracy because this is a made-up world. Yeah, I mean, for me, the I I love Hema. For anyone who doesn't know, Hema is historical European martial arts, and so I love like watching. There's a number of great YouTubers that are Hema. The most well-known I know of is Scalagrim, who does a lot of like fencing and sword stuff. But because of that, like I already have to basically completely suspend my disbelief when it comes to most weapon fights in fantasy. Because that is exactly pure fantasy. Real fighting does not look like what 99.5% of fantasy fiction looks like. And it's like, if I can be okay with that, then of course I can be with okay with having some people who maybe weren't that many of them back at the time. Because then that gives representation to a modern audience, and I don't see a fucking problem with that. So, Yeah, and I mean, that's kind of where the, the fun thing of where I think the fun, the good crossover between historical romanticism and fantasy exists is you can take your personal historical romanticism and it'll work in this fantasy world because it's made up. It doesn't have to be real. You can have giant war hammers. You can hang out warrior queens. You can have all this fun fantasy stuff that history doesn't allow for because humans suck. Yeah, now there is... The key phrase you said is once you introduce fantasy to it, there is an argument to be made for certain drama uh, that is specifically made with historical accuracy in mind. However, even in those situations, I find that the focus tends to be on the wrong areas because 
Example, I have made mention of the fact that I'm a huge fan of Scandinavian culture and Viking culture or Germanic neo-pagans. I should like the show Vikings. Everything about that seems on the surface to be like, this is right up Axel's alley. And when I first tried to watch it, I was kind of on board. Comparing it to something like, um, oh man, I can't even think what that, there was a comedy show that was basically the same thing, but made a bunch of jokes. Anyway, point is that because Vikings was quote unquote on the History Channel originally, I think, but it, it seemed to be trying to portray itself as a more historically accurate show about Vikings. All that ended up doing is making the places where it wasn't accurate stand out way more, which had to do with like the architecture of their buildings and the nature of their rituals, which were so, for lack of a better term, Christianized that I couldn't get around it. <laughs> See, it's funny. You and I jumped off that one at different points. That stuff I could rationalize because the sources are so limited and are so heavily Christianized. Where I took umbrage was when they got really overly stylized costume. It's like, come on, guys, you have relics, you have tapestries, you have written depictions, you have everything telling you exactly how they dress. What the fuck are they wearing? Yeah, but you kind of get my point that it's like if once you either embrace and accept your fantasy elements or you're going for a hard historical accuracy and the difference is that once you've accepted fantasy elements i don't care about historical inaccuracies really because it's fantasy but if the the more historical accurate you're trying to be the more your historical inaccuracies are going to get in the way yeah no we can kind of fun dip into the latest assassin's creed game i didn't is that odyssey i didn't play odyssey that's no the latest one is valhalla Oh, the Viking one. Yeah, I didn't play that one. Again, for for me, the only Assassin's Creed I own is Black Flag because I want to be a pirate. And uh, they're all basically the same game, so I felt no desire to play any more after that. <laughs> See, Odyssey, which was set during the Peloponnesian... It's Greek, right? Yeah, I, I want to make sure I got my war right. I believe it's Peloponnesian War. But didn't, didn't Odyssey include, like, mythological monsters? Yeah, but I'm like, okay, that I can kind of have fun with because you're leaning into the narrative that they just, they believed in magic. So it affected their belief in the world. So that's a minor thing. Where I took issue was no one fought in the phalanx and no one used a shield. Okay, but anyway, you're going to say about the Valhalla, the, the Viking. Yeah, the Viking one. I was like, okay, you get to play a Viking, you get to establish settlements, you get to lead raids. Okay, okay, cool, cool. I can dig this. And then came out the giant pauldrons, the long swords, and the glowy stuff that was just like, what in the hell are you doing? It just See, got so hard into fantasy that didn't, and it wasn't even like they were saying these are magical items because they believe they're magical items. These are just like, it looks cool. Here you go. Honestly, that's that's actually better for me because that means they're leaning hard into the fantasy. I no longer am looking at it from a historical perspective. But it still wants to be historical. It wants to reference places and people and be a historical RPG, which that took me right out of it. It's like, listen, when you're slap, slapping plate armor on a guy in the ninth century and talking about wielding Excalibur as a broadsword. <laughs> and then, of course, they do all the weird stave churches to represent valhalla and yeah i mean again this is and that's before we get into the really weird uh unleash your inner viking toxicity stuff well that's okay so if we're talking about romanticism it's funny because there is a romanticized idea of what the viking is of like oh yeah the, the ultimate you know warrior culture they're basically you know the real world inspiration for klingons and i just saw i just saw the northmen which was hamlet with vikings it was all about like you know honor for your father and vengeance and all and all that kind of stuff and, and it, was, it was great good but that's its own separate thing but no we can also yeah, slot in here spartans romans samurai and in knights, all those vikings, cases yeah, in all these cases, the reality is way more complex. I mentioned earlier, yes. but I'll, I'll be a little more specific here. The image of Vikings as essentially this, like, warrior culture stems from the fact that the first interaction between Vikings and Western culture were, uh, quote-unquote, was raiding. But it ignores the fact that the Vikings' main mode of operation after that initial year, essentially, was to come back and be like, hey, just give us some goods and we'll leave. 
they were businessmen, really. It's just that they they would start by essentially shocking to create an a idea of themselves, uh, basically a something to cause fear in people, and then they would just use it to be the mafia. They also were more than almost any other ancient culture carried around grooming implements. Pretty much yep. every Viking grave we've ever found has like many combs and stuff, so they, they could just clean. Which is that's I think a lot of our big, most machismo-obsessed ancient warrior races were really into personal hygiene. Yeah, and then we have a, and then we have a, a very, the whole women thing you mentioned earlier. Yes, it's true. Viking culture generally was more progressive than you might imagine. Ancient culture. There were women on raids. We found warrior graves of women's skeletons. Yes. That doesn't mean that they were some like proto-feminist society because viking society was still built a lot on you know the same kind of should still behead their wives for perceived infidelities they were just more open to women having upward growth in their society but they still were you know not equals so no (laughs) i i hate to admit it but patriarchy is really baked into our society and culture and goes way back. There's not like a tipping point where, you know, we went from perfect balance to dudes fucking everything. Yeah. And I, and I say that all saying I love Viking stuff in general, and I yes. wish that some of the, those romanticisms were correct, but they are not a better example even is samurai who have been samurai and ninja Japanese culture in general. There's there's actually a very interesting historical reason why the samurai and the ninja have become the things that they are in pop culture, having to do a lot with things like propaganda. And I'm not oh, yeah. touching any of that. I but, will say this real briefly. Again, I'll do some props. Dan Carlin has a great history on the whole rise of the Japanese Empire of World War II. But what I didn't know is the whole romanticism of the samurai basically comes as Japan stepped into being a fascist nation state yeah because if you read actual japanese history like from a few different perspectives the image that begins to appear is that after the sengoku era which for those who don't know sengoku was the warring states period in japan where basically japan got splintered into hundreds of mini countries they were all fighting each other for about a hundred years so japan was a country that was just filled with warriors and then finally, the three great unifiers, uh, Toyotomi Hideyoshi, Oda Nobunaga, and uh, Ieyasu, Tokugawa Ieyasu, they essentially, through a series of weird stuff, including some assassinations and typhoons and whatnot, they united the land. And when the Ieyasu shogunate took over, they were like, well, fuck, we've got a country full of warriors and no one for them to fight. So um, and they're just sucking up the resources. Yeah. So and they're and they're starting to raid. And they're starting to fuck with our like our government and shit. So uh, create create the idea of the samurai. Give them something to, and then and let's go make a war with Korea. So we just give them something to do. Yep. <laughs> no, the, it's a it's a fascinating thing. But basically, the whole contemporary idea of the samurai is born of Japan's embrace of fascism to escape colonialism. Yeah. <laughs> There's a, uh, well. Again, that's the uh, that's, that's the, the very, 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 very condensed version. Well, because the shoku when the show when the Ieyasu shogunate, which lasted like 230 some years, ended, I think in the Meiji period, and there was this whole thing about like demilitarization, taking away swords, removing the samurai class in order to there's and that and this is all several hundred years before World yeah, War Two. So it's just the that Meiji Reformation. Well, that's what kind of starts it, and they shifted. It's like okay, we want to take these positive ideas we've had and now we're going to put them into our society like we want our samurais to be our office managers and yeah. our, our samurais <laughs> it's a weird thing but again even at that point samurai were still largely for lack of a term thugs not quite as much yep. thugs as ronin were who were samurai who didn't have a lord to basically keep them on a leash but that's still largely what they were and there was a from what i've read there was a major backlash against the meiji reformation by the samurai class who basically liked being able to just do what they wanted to do <laughs> well it was a cultural shift and that's where they kind of tried to turn the ego of the samurai into well you are fallen from what you used to be because you used to be warriors, scholars, and... Again, yeah, so not really. Whole, <laughs> no, but that's, like, the fascinating thing about historical romanticism is how it exists, like, in the, when you're in the real world. Like, fascism loves going, we used to be a great nation of warriors, and here are the warriors. 
And you kind of look at it and you're like, that's not the case. Like the reason we are so heavily reckoning with our ideas of the Spartans is fascism has its grubby fingers all over it to the point that it was radioactive and no one wanted to touch it. Well, and now we're going back and realizing well, things we don't Spartans. know anything. Yeah, well, hold on. Before we get to Spartans, to cap off the Japanese discussion, real quick, ninja. Oh, who yeah. are probably the most romanticized group of warriors in in <laughs> world history, period. Because ninjas were not warriors. Ninjas were basically spies. And yep. ninjas didn't dress in all black. They dressed like peasant farmers because that's how it allowed them to blend in. And they had their, their, their gadgets were not meant to kill. They were meant to distract so they could escape if they got caught. Yep. And now that that idea is starting to gain more traction in popular culture, but there's still this. I remember when me and you were in high school, and the idea of like the oh, ninjas, the, the greatest warrior ever, bullshit. Because Naruto took over the tsunami block. Well, what's funny and, because the nin, that idea of the ninja had nothing to do with Naruto. Naruto is basically wizards who call themselves ninjas. So and yeah, I like, but it, you know. it bled in like there's the, the '90s had them set had the kung fu wave of the '90s laid the ground for magic ninjas, and I think the popularity of Naruto in the 2000s kind of cemented the idea of magic warriors. Yeah. So anyway, point is that. I can't think of any group of warriors probably more romanticized than ninja, except maybe the Spartans. And we're going to talk about them in just a moment here. So now the Spartans, me and Ulrich did a whole thing about them where we talked about like what we actually do understand about them. I wonder how much of that, if we went back and listened is us romanticizing them. But like one of the basic things that I've learned in history that I didn't consider until I watched uh, John Green's crash course world history was that Sparta as a society was wholly built on slaves. Yep. When you when you compare that to the quote unquote slave army of the Persians in the classic you know 300 Thermopylae in, in, in encounter, and then you actually read about Xerxes and the uh, Zoroastrianist Empire, like he was called the King of Kings because he would show up to places and be like, hey, instead of fighting, why don't you just pay me a tax and I'll let you keep being a king? And most people were like, all right, that's cool. And his society didn't really have slaves. In fact, and it had religious tolerance. I mean, for that time, what goes for religious tolerance. So I'm not saying that the Persian Empire was like, you know, some great thing. I'm just saying that the romanticized ideal of the Greek states versus the villainized ideal of the Persian Empire comes from who wrote about them right after the fact. And again, we're going back to history. It's like we don't have a lot of reliable sources because the only people that are telling these ones are the ones that had a vested interest in how the stories are being told and very hard to pin down scant historical evidence. Chief example, when Axel and I were in school, Troy may or may not have existed. Fast forward to now, Troy definitely existed. We kind of know where it is. Yeah, history is still a very much evolving thing. And I bring up that the 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 Thermopylae Persian one specifically because from my understanding, it's only recently, as in like the last 30 years, that Western historians en masse are beginning to accept Eastern sources for events that were quote-unquote Western history. Because like yes. we now know more about the Persian Empire – actually, it's not even that we know more because – People on that side of the planet knew that shit already. The, the historians over here just weren't using those sources. <laughs> yes, and that's what I mean going back to every few decades you have to redo your translations because the perceptions change and you get a different interpretation. Because that's the other kind of thing is racism is really baked into your culture and there was a tendency to ignore it's like well we're not going to listen to these people because of course they have a vested interest in you know making them look worse because they were the enemy it's like well listening to the people that have a vested interest in making these guys look good because they are the ones that you know were these people might also be a bit problematic yeah and oh by the way uh, the whole idea of your own philosophies and personality can get in the way i mentioned early on that i just watched hamilton recently now for anyone who somehow didn't watch Hamilton, it's on Disney Plus, and most people have it, so I'm surprised that they have. But then again, musical theater isn't for everyone, so fine, whatever. So Hamilton was the super giant big play musical made by Lin Manuel Miranda about the man Alexander Hamilton, who was one of the quote unquote founding fathers during the Revolution of the United States. He was 
the first treasurer of the uh, of the government. I believe it was George Washington's treasurer, if I remember correctly. And he basically invented the idea of the national bank and the national debt and a lot of these kind of concepts. And when I was in high school and I was taking AP history and reading about him, I saw invented the national bank and I instantly turned against him. And everything else I read about him was tinged by that feeling. I didn't know that he was the son of an immigrant. I didn't know that he came up from essentially not old money, like basically all the other founding fathers did. And that information, which I admit I haven't fact-checked yet, and I still plan to, but assuming that those bits are true, that changes entirely my, like, I think I have been misjudging this historical figure since I was in high school based on one perspective. You have to keep going back and re-examining history and redoing it because there are your biases and that's what makes so much of this so messy and it's why like even the whole going back to the spartan thing is really interesting to watch is there's kind of this interesting clash between the old guard historians that grew up with the spartans as the ultimate warrior race these ultimate people and they're holding on to that and there's a new ones that are just like i think all of that is bullshit and want to you know reduce it down to ground zero and it's like you have two very different groups coming at this it's fascinating to watch like them go back and forth like well that makes sense that feels like an overcorrection back and forth back and forth but the key one i have discovered like my new mantra when discovering any quote-unquote warrior race warrior society is they were only human yeah you know what else was a warrior society that you don't hear about very often athens and if you think that i'm wrong one of the most well-known quotes from an Athenian like ship was talking about a, a group, a village they found while they were sailing, and they said, "The strong do what they want, and the weak suffer what they must." Yeah, no, fucking hell. Classical, classical areas, fascinating eras. I mean, I have an episode in the back of my mind that I don't know if we'll ever do, but I kind of want to talk about the Roman, the myth of the Roman legion. Yeah, well, real quick, I want to, I want to capitalize, or not capitalize. I want to do cap off. I like to do that. The the whole Hamilton thing, because conversely, when I was in high school, I wrote a paper about why I thought Thomas Jefferson was the greatest president uh, that we've ever had. Now, I do not think that at all. I probably think Teddy Roosevelt is, but that's a whole different conversation we can have. But the point is that I never thought about him as a essentially old, like high, rich, semi royalty dude who basically just wanted the to support the South and support the slave trade. Yeah, he called it a blot, but he also supported a lot of legislation that was really supportive of it. And those are the kind of things that I just didn't know when I was younger. So. Oh yeah, no, I talk about it whenever someone says, "Why don't we learn blank in school?" And it's like, do you know how fucking huge and dense history is? Do you yeah. know how hard it is to get anyone to take any of that in? Like an advanced placement course for less than 300 years of American history was already really hard. Now you've got over 4,000-ish years of recorded history on the rest of the world. Like history is dense. And even that AP history course, as I just illustrated, didn't teach me everything I would have wanted to know about the most important and bits of American history. Can't. And everyone has a different idea of what you should learn, what's important. And there are things that 100% should be taught. I agree with that. But at the same time, where? Where the fuck are you going to put it in when you have to cover everything and you have to restart constantly and half the kids don't pay attention? I yeah, but the, the question most of... people can't name six presidents outside their lifetime. Yeah, but I, I bring up the forefathers particularly because they are probably the most at least in our culture the most obvious example of historical romanticism there's a great the purge movies are a great satire of this idea where they talk about our founding fathers like gods and they pray to our founding fathers but that's just basically a satire of how certain sections of our current united states society basically already treat the the founding fathers as gods I mean, we are just now reckoning with the fact that most of our founding fathers were slaveholders and what that actually meant. Yeah, well, not just slaveholders, but like how they thought about it or how they thought about other other things or like and, and it's not always these really big shaking things either. The Like how many people do you think know how George Washington died? 
I didn't know how he died until a year ago when I listened to a podcast specifically about it. I didn't know that he basically got a cold while working one day and then a series of like four different doctors bled him because they thought that would help him. So they pretty yep. much just bled him to death. Which, again, perfect summary to the past was was pretty terrible in some really shocking ways. You do not want to live there because most of your fantasy worlds are probably still going to, unless they have really good magic, and even then, they're still going to think, okay, bleeding is good. Because I guarantee you, if you are in bumfuck nowhere in your D&D world, good luck finding a cleric. Okay, I will accept that one because uh, <laughs> our, our DM has done that to us a couple times. So, <laughs> I'm sorry, you think contemporary medicine's bad? Imagine how it works when there's a handful of people that have to pray to get healed, and you think gods are fickle now? I don't like him. He uh, he cast a side eye at my statue. I'm not going to give you the powers to heal him today. You roll the one. That's really funny. I might I might use that next time I'm DMing a game. Anyway, <laughs> my, my point is that I can't think of any example in our society of more egregious of romanticizing history than romanticizing the founding fathers, and the 1700s and slash the eighteen hundreds were not a good place and they were just people. In fact they were basically during the revolution they were basically just angry college kids who were rebelling against the authority at the time. So exactly the kind of people that the people who tend to romanticize them do not like. So <laughs> no, history is complex, which is the whole point of this, is you really, really, really must always be challenging your perceived notions about history and also for the love of god stop wanting to run off to narnia they don't have antibiotics you are going to die miserably that's exactly why i say like i think my i think the best president is probably teddy roosevelt but i'm totally open to someone being like hey here's this this and this bit of history that you never read about that will change I, your opinion so i love roosevelt but the fact that he referred to the indian reservations as quote game reservations for the savage see that's what i'm talking about that's like, <laughs> that, oh, that, doesn't, that doesn't change that doesn't change my opinion but I, mostly because i think all presidents are bad to one degree yes. or another. i just think Teddy people did the most are good, horrible so everyone's that, <laughs> horrible i'm horrible axel's especially horrible i am especially horrible yes <laughs> oh so yeah no let that be the big kind of finishing point is always be pushing forward do not cite history as your reason of why blank can't exist in your fantasy universe because Can we change? I'm thinking about this now, and I want to say it's not really romanticism as much as it's historical extremism, because either direction is not accurate. Saying that everything in the past was absolutely horrid and miserable and that only the present is good is also not correct, because we've talked about how ancient Rome was. We talked about the progressivenesses that were in Viking culture. China has been a civilization for an insane amount of time, and uh, yep. other than the times when the country basically broke apart on itself, which had happened multiple times, it was reasonably stable, and as far as, like, ancient civilizations go, pretty sick place to live. So there are positives. There are negatives. It's just like any other time. There are, you know, history is now. that there You don't know if something's an event until afterwards, and honestly, there's not a day that goes by that something, quote-unquote, historical doesn't happen somewhere. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, fuck, last four years, eight, close to eight years now. Oh, if we survive. Yeah. Now, how much of it is recorded, and that depends entirely on who's doing the recording and whether those recordings survive, but the point is that you just got to be careful with your, you know, you don't want to be pessimistic, you don't want to be romantic. It's just, I think, accepting that you can't know it all and just always be open to having new facts, new ideas, change your preconceptions about a time period, you know? Yeah, no. And uh, I don't know. Sprink Go read some history. Sprinkle it into your next D&D &D game. Have one of your characters die from dysentery. And play the Oregon Trail game, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we all make that joke, but yeah, dysentery killed a lot of people. Fuck, milk poisoning. Look up well, the number of people that died before we had pasteurization. Yeah, there's also the fact, one of my... I don't have the right word for this. One of, I think, the most important bits of historical North American history that I had to go find out after school was how before the settlers from Europe showed up, there was a massive plague that wiped out roughly 90% of the human population of North America. Yeah. Now, imagine what the settlers, 
how well they would have done if they were up against 10 times as many indigenous people as what actually happened. That so, hadn't had their entire society reset. Yeah, exactly. That would have completely changed the entire trajectory of this continent. But that's not what happened. But point is that it's probably the single most important event to happen in this continent. And they didn't teach it to me in school. So. Again, so much has to be taught to you, including state history, which... Idaho's relationship to state history is very interesting. Yeah, true, true. <laughs> we, uh, we, we, the white people uh, showed up and everything was good. Uh, no further questions. <laughs> oh, man, if you want to, I was talking with this person about, so not to get out this, I could get on a huge tangent about this, but particularly the history and treatment of indigenous people in this country is one of the most underreported, undertaught and just pace it over things like you think you know you think you know and like oh we did this to the natives back then no we are doing it to them now and it's the same shit that we've always been doing it to them and they're just not visible the same way that anyway sorry that makes me super angry (laughs) i think you and i are uniquely qualified because we grew up within 30 minutes of a reservation so we could see kind of what was going on my my they gave our schools so much money yeah, my second my second major girlfriend was fifty percent indigenous, and so I, I've went, I've been to like the big power. Now again, this does not make me at all an expert. This is, it's not this is not like a, oh I know this one person. I'm just saying that we were raised around it, and I just think it's 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 not like other quote unquote minority cultures that actually have a big presence in popular culture. Like African Americans basically have taken over a portion of popular culture. And that's cool. It means there's a lot of visibility to their plight. There's a reason Black Lives Matter exists as a movement. But indigenous peoples, they're just not in pop culture. They're not seen. They're not visible to I the mean, average Reservation person. Dogs was a huge hit for a reason. Yeah. And so. also was some of the most heartbreaking TV I've watched in a while. Yeah. So anyway, point is that that's one of my like I get I get rage induced when I think about how the the indigenous people have been treated in general. And Australia <laughs> has the same problem. Oh, they're, fuck Australia. So. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, tangent. <laughs> oh, maybe someday we'll do an episode just titled Idaho, way more racist than you think. We can share some of those eye opening stories. Probably. I I don't think I want to do that, but OK. <laughs> I know. Well, it's just people I encounter. It's like holy shit, your home state's way more racist than I thought. I'm like, oh, yeah, everyone thinks it's just potatoes, but no. <laughs> Nazi compounds, lynch mobs. Yep. Anyway, let's put uh, my <laughs> concluding thought for this whole thing is moderation in most things and and always be open to new, uh, new facts, new ideas, and new perspectives. There, that's my concluding thought. <laughs> uh, my concluding thought is study history. It's a lot grosser than you thought. And if you ever do open a portal to Narnia or Hogwarts or wherever, don't go through. It's not going to be good. And burn the portal to Hogwarts. Just fucking kill that one in the crib, please. <laughs> I'd still be fine going to D&D World, but yeah, I generally accept it. Okay. All right. Should we move into less angry ranting, more fun ranting in our suggestions of the week? True. Okay. So my suggestion of the week is about two weeks ago, I discovered maybe about three weeks ago, I think about it. I discovered a YouTube creator named TB Skyen. He is, I'm not sure if he's Dutch or German or something like that. I know that he keeps talking about his, uh, the Viking culture as being his culture. So I think he hails from somewhere in Scandinavia. I don't know where he lives, but he is a, he's a character design artist. And so what he does is he has videos where he looks at character designs from various games or shows or uh, animations and he will talk about how the animation or the design of the characters themselves tells stories and he talks about what their design says about them most of his content's about league of legends characters and even if you don't like league of legends it's still good content for learning like wow how certain character design elements translate to certain things that they're saying about the character but he also has like full let's plays of games where he will then break down like level design and character design and what the storylines are telling to him. And also he's fucking hilarious. And he'll do this thing. I love where like, I've been watching his let's plays of the Soulsborne games, uh, dark souls, bloodborne stuff. And he's got the full unedited version on like another channel, but then he edits it down. So that it goes from like a five hour stream to like an hour and a half video. Then he just puts like 
little jokes in and little animations and stuff to just make it like I don't know, a more digestible, really fun let's play that then ends with a 10-minute. And here's how this boss's design communicates all this crazy shit. And it's it's been super fun, and I've been pretty addicted to his, his stuff recently. Interesting. I'll check him out. Yeah. Uh, mine is a fun little movie that kind of dropped out of nowhere. Like, I saw trailers for it, and then it just appeared on my TV today. Uh, it's available on AMC+, Plus, which I didn't realize was a streaming service, or you can rent directly from Amazon Prime. Sorry, you can cut that out. <laughs> uh, titled The Duel. Not Steven Spielberg's The Duel, I'm guessing. <laughs> no, this is The Duel spelled D-U-A-L. Like duality. Yes, but there is a duel in it, ironically. This is not, um, I don't think of The Last Duel. I don't know this one. Yeah, I haven't heard of it. <laughs> it's been a good year for duels. Um, this is a movie that I will, I'll get to the premise, but I will describe as a episode of Black Mirror, but 15% weirder. That's saying something because Black Mirror is pretty fucking weird. Uh-huh. So this is a movie in which Karen Gillan receives the news that she has a rare terminal disease. I mean, you said Karen Gillan. I'm already on board. So <laughs> yep, nope, Axel's already checked out. He heard everything he needs to hear. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and in this world, there is a service where you can make a clone of yourself that will then learn to be an exact copy of you so that you can go on living after you die. Like a version of you goes on living, though, not you yes. necessarily. Okay. It Well, it becomes indecipherable from you. Like it just absorbs all your personality quirks and traits and whatnot. At least it's supposed to. And then she finds out, oh, actually, no, you're going to survive. Ah, that's a problem. Yes, because the law doesn't allow there to be two of uh, two of anybody. Mm -hmm. So in one year's time, we have to duel to the death. Okay. I mean, I like I said I'm on board because Karen Gillan, but this didn't there wasn't there a a Paul Rudd movie last year that yes, was something similar. Yes, there's a Paul Rudd series that was very like this. That was way more light. It kind of borrowed some of the things, but it was more funny. This is very kind of grim and somber and weird because what immediately ends up happening is everyone in her life likes her copy better. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> because she's kind of depressed and kind of you know just going through life. And she is always shot in very flat colors. Her, uh, all her costumes are very bland colors. She speaks in kind of a downbeat monotone. And her clone is very upbeat and happy and perky and just happy with the world. And so she really comes to hate her. And she spends a year training with Paul Dano in how best to kill her clone. Mm. All right. And it is the weird, it's just this totally weird the end it ends in a way you're not going you would not expect like like they're sat and going that wasn't how i thought that was going to end I'm like no I, I don't understand that entirely but it's such it's a great concept and i just it, it's it's a weird fun movie like i don't think this is going to find a mass audience because it's so weird hmm. and i keep saying that but that it's making some very specific choices and how it is shot how it is acted how it is written that yeah and it just like it raises so many questions along the way like why what why do you have to kill the copy of yourself hmm. all right and of course it's broadcast live on like you get the black mirror like of course the duel is broadcast live it's a hit tv show of course but then of course it asks questions like well could you murder yourself and what does it say about you that you would murder yourself and the relationship with ourselves and hmm. all right then and you said this is available where uh you can get it on AMC plus which I don't know what's on there I don't have AMC plus or you can rent it directly from Amazon Prime hmm. okay so uh thank you all for listening this has been a fun weird diversion episode I don't sorry know if, if it's going to find an audience, but yeah, sorry if we got all ranty at the end, but uh, we, okay, just because the just because the podcast is not political doesn't mean that Ulrich and I don't have feelings about real world stuff. <laughs> we abandoned the no political a while back, so fuck it, I don't care. Uh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, this is a weird all over. This is an us episode. This is one that very much is the kind of conversations we have unscripted. So if you like it, please let us know. Please share this with a friend. Please, oh, here, please tell me your most horrific fantasy death 
that would be totally mundane historically accurate. I am going to claim abscess tooth. Oh, uh, I mean, I'm probably going to go with the plague. <laughs> plague. I would go get. Oh, we're getting kicked in the head by a horse is also a real. Yeah, there's something about just straight up the Black Death, man. I've read about that shit. That's a third of Europe. Come on. Anyway. <laughs> yep. Nope. This nameless plague. So yeah, that's what I'm asking. All right. Take us through their outro then, Orc. You gotta do the middle plug. I do. You can you gotta find do the... us on. Oh, I didn't hear you do the thank you for in the more we grow. That was part. the thank you in there. Oh, well, fine then. You can find us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Podcast, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and thefiresidealliance.com. I'd prefer if you listen to us on that last one because it's also filled with a bunch of other cool content creators that we, you know, collaborate – well, we'd like to collaborate more with. But we do have at least, you know, share that space with, and they're really cool people. Anyway, you can also rate us on Spotify. That'd be nice to know if you, you know, if you like this one especially because, again, this is kind of an experimental – well, it's not really experimental, but this, this was, was just very – us venting. Yeah, us venting. And so, yeah, let us know. And if there's some other platform you want us on, tell us about it and we'll look into it. As always, this has been Lord Commander Ulrich. And his shield brother, Axel Wright. Be sure to tune in next time. And as always, stay honorable.